Hey everyone, welcome to the Goody Reader Radio Show. My name is Michael, and of course, I'm joined every Monday by Digital Book World's own Jeremy Greenfield. Jeremy, you sound a little bit under the weather. I have a cold, Michael. I have to apologize to you and the rest of the listeners for what you're about to hear. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to apologize for what you're going to hear because we're going to regale you all with tales of the digital publishing industry, e-readers, tablets, and a whole lot more. So without further ado, let's get into some Amazon news. There's been a flurry of activity with a lot of stuff having to do with Amazon. First of all, they've announced that Kindle owners spend more money than Amazon shoppers. And this isn't an official Amazon report, but this is actually a report done uh, September, October, November. So it's more or less what I like about those months is that it's not really indicative of the holiday season. So people aren't spending more because they're getting new devices. This is sort of um, the status quo uh, months. And what they found in this report that Kindle owners on average are spending about $1,200 per year, where non-Kindle owners are spending about $790 per year. And what they're seeing is that more people are not spending money at the once, but they're spending it out more evenly over time, uh, investing in eBooks, or if you're getting the Kindle Fire tablets, you're getting uh, audio video movies, uh, television episodes, audiobooks, and things like that. What are your thoughts about this report? Well, I mean, this, was, this, is, this is Amazon's strategy all along with the Kindle, to put the store uh, into its customers' hands. And, you know, it, it feels like this is the kind of thing that Amazon wanted to see happen years and years ago when it introduced the, the devices. Uh, to have these Kindle device owners spend more and spend more in exactly this way, that because they have the store in their pockets all the time, they can, whenever they feel like it, just make an additional purchase. Um, So everything the report's saying dovetails with sort of Amazon's Uber strategy around the Kindle. And so I'm sure that if this is basically true, the way Amazon says it is, that the executives internally have to be very, very pleased. Um, You know, I think this is probably you could argue good news for publishers uh, who, with the the invention of the, the Kindle store in everyone's pocket, are now have access to people everywhere all the time in a way that they never did back in the pre-ebook era. Um, you know, the bad news is for anyone who, uh, that competes with Amazon because Amazon's sort of hybrid e-commerce uh, device and web services overall strategy uh, seems to be working on on all cylinders. So if you are an Amazon competitor, uh, seeing this uh, can't make you feel good. Speaking of publishers, you know, we ha- we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about ebooks. And apparently Amazon released uh, a big bestseller list for 2013. Yeah, this is Amazon's big list of what did well in 2013, uh, the top 20 adult books. Uh, what I noticed from the list is, well, first of all, Amazon pointed out that in the top 20 list, only one of these books sold more print copies than Kindle copies. And that is astounding. So the only book that sold more print copies than Kindle copies was Lean In, Women Work, and The Will to Lead by Sheryl Sandberg, one of the, the big business books of the year. And it looks like it, it was actually the top nonfiction book uh, of the year on Amazon. But uh, when it comes to people who buy books from Amazon, 
they are now more than 50% buying ebooks. So take out that physical store retail environment. Just imagine all the bookstores go away, and we're at more than 50% digital reading. I mean, it's a very theoretical thing to think about, but it's kind of astounding. Another thing I noticed is that about half the books, 45% of the books, were published by Penguin Random House. So that merger really just created a publishing powerhouse. Uh, Hachette had five books on the list. I think Simon & Schuster had two. Macmillan had one. And and there were three self-published books on the list, which really goes to show the power of e-books and the power of of self-publishing. But I think the winner this year on this list is is clearly uh, e-books and clearly Penguin Random House. So Amazon every year really touts their sales and you know this you know we've been following the industry long enough that amazon normally towards the end of the year really says okay this year we've sold more kindle devices than the year prior so we've had the most success we've had the most successful year ever in in hardware sales uh e-reader sales tablet sales and they do this every single year and in order to get more units out the door and actually have a little bit more credibility uh, for this. But also keep in mind that Amazon never divulges sales figures. So they may say we've sold more Kindles than we did last year, but they don't actually say we sold X number of devices. They just basically, hey guys, take our take our word for it. Um, and that's their, their MO. In order to push more devices out the door, they're in- introducing a new installment plan, and this is for the Kindle HDX line of tablets. So this is the latest and greatest, the 7-inch and 8.9-inch. And what this will do is you can put 25% down, and then over the course of three months, just pay uh, the difference off every month. So if you want to get a few tablets as gifts, you don't actually have to pay the, you know, the 200 or the the 250 or 300, depending on what model you're getting. You can just pay $57 for the seven inch tablet or $94 for the 8.9 inch tablet. I think that this is a, a fairly good deal. I've never really heard about installment plans before when it comes to tablets. Well, this really fits in with Amazon's overall strategy, which is making it as easy as possible for their customers to get what they want when they want at a price that they can afford. And uh, so it doesn't surprise me. And, and when you think about Amazon's, what it, it's beginning to learn about itself and share with us about Kindle owners and how they shop there, you know, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if Amazon you know, is focused intensely on getting as many Kindles to as many people's hands as possible because clearly it drives their business. More publishers are starting to focus on mobile, and this is whether they're tailoring their websites to have more responsive designs, so the websites just look look as just as good on the desktop as they do on maybe your mobile phone or your tablet. I, I know a lot of companies are redoing their entire teen websites to be you know more socially interactive and, and spending millions of dollars on our ecosystem as well as a lot of other websites out there that are in the digital publishing sector they want to uh, rely less on apps I, I I feel and focus more on the web experience I actually read an interesting statistic today that said tablets make up less than five percent of internet use 
And this was uh, new figures done by Stack Counter. And these figures actually surprised me considering uh, the Apple iPad is just so damn popular and a lot of the Samsung tablets and, and things like that. So this statistic really did surprise me. Jeremy, you actually wrote a very interesting article about uh, why publishers need to start thinking mobile. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, I actually didn't write the article. We published it on our website. It's by a gentleman named Thad McElroy, who is a uh, actually out where you are in Vancouver, uh, an ebook and digital publishing consultant. And you know, he uh, sort of stood on the shoulders of a gentleman named uh, uh, Ben Evans. And Ben Evans is a you know a consultant and a, and a smart thinker when it comes to ebooks and digital publishing. And he's actually me speaking at our Digital Book World Conference uh, this year about Amazon and what's happening with Amazon. But uh, you know, Evans has a very popular presentation about the future of mobile. If you just look at the numbers, um, you know, in 2013, uh, there were roughly one and a quarter billion tablets and smartphones sold, uh, versus about a quarter billion uh, desktop PCs and laptops, uh, and and that is uh, you know really astounding because just two or three years ago, there were far fewer uh, sales of mobile these mobile devices than there were of desktop species and laptops. So they've really just been eclipsed in a huge way uh, in a really short period of time. And as I think you alluded to in what you were saying earlier, introducing the topic, you know, the kids are using their cell phones to access the web a lot more than ever. Uh, so Thad's, Thad McElroy's theory on this is that publishers really need to consider these trends and consider, you know, when, when they have online presences where they are. And if people are using these Kindle devices, for instance, and, and other tablets to, you know, buy the books, the publishers need to be on those devices in as strong of a presence uh, and as smart of a presence as possible, so they can help drive those purchases uh, and help readers engage more fully with the content in the way that readers have really indicated that they want to uh, now. So that's that's the suggestion here uh, that publishers really take that lesson to heart. And we've been actually discussing that at Digital Book World for a long time, the rise of the smartphone as a reading device. You know, I'll agree that probably smartphones, they're in everyone's pocket. And more people now more than ever are, you know, reading and, and, and investing themselves in, in digital media. Tablets, not so much. I actually have a report here uh, that tablets will actually see a decline in 2014 and this is you know most of the displays and and tablets are either manufactured or assembled in taiwan um if not taiwan factories in in, in china what they're actually seeing uh, according to reports is that the increase of smartphones will increase by about 11 percent but tablet manufacturing are actually going to decrease by almost 30% in 2014. And, you know, obviously when you talk about uh, manufacturing and production, people will get the heads up a long time in advance. You know, it takes a long time to, you know, inform a factory that you're going to be putting out a number of devices. So they, you know, we're going to be releasing IPS screens. So you have to get your, you know, your stuff in order. You have to get, you know, all the parts and all the assemblies uh, configured correctly. So I, I do put a lot of stock in these Taiwanese reports, but it's very interesting to see that tablet production will decline by almost 30%. And we actually have a quote that, um, that someone from Asus actually told me that said, anyone who wants a tablet already has one. 
And that's very telling because unlike smartphones where people tend to upgrade them every few years, when people have tablets, they tend to hang on to them. It's almost like e-readers where, um, you know, Jeremy, you have an older model of the Kindle. And when a new one comes out, there's really not a compelling enough reason to upgrade to a new one, right? Nope, not unless I lose it. And, and it's, it's the same with tablets. You know, I know a lot of people that are still rocking iPad 2s and, you know, the fifth generation tablet has come out. And this sort of trend, I think, will continue where smartphones are going to just increase more, but tablets are actually on a decline. And this sort of falls in line with a lot of figures that I've actually been reading lately. Uh, like I mentioned about um, tablet use on the Internet less than 5%, you know, desktops are still, you know, around 75%, and mobile makes up the rest. So, you know, you could really kind of see the eroding of tablets. And this is going to affect a lot of sectors, because as people are use older models of tablets, you're not really not going to see um, a rise in apps like we did the last few years or customized reading apps and things like that for for large screen displays you think i think that you're going to see more smartphone uh things rise up now we well sir you know i i think that you may be onto something with the way that people purchase tablets and e-reading devices and smartphones and you know it's been pretty well established that the smartphone cycle is roughly two years uh, the data plan providers have ensured that uh, with the way that they sell data plans and give quote unquote you know phone upgrade uh, kickbacks. Um, but with tablets, you know there's not that much of an incentive to change your tablet out for another one unless you lose it or it breaks. And probably the same is true for e-readers. I mean the game hasn't quite changed between the second and third generation and the latest generation. Uh, so perhaps you are right. We will see a decline in those things, but only time will tell. Well, I mean, it comes down to subsidies. You know, um, a lot of big data, a lot of big phone companies. You know, they give subsidies if you want to upgrade early. I know here in Canada we have like an early upgrade campaign that almost all the big telecoms use. And what you do is they, you know, if I buy a phone now, I could you know get it for free, and then. It, every single month that's my figure to upgrade actually goes down. So if I want to get a phone six months from now, instead of paying the full cost, I actually just pay the early upgrade fee and I get a mad discount. Whereas with tablets and uh, e-readers, there's no such thing. You know, even though that telecoms do sell data plans, the amount of tablets that actually support data plans fairly poultry. You know, you have pretty well the iPad is the most visible bestseller, but there is some other devices uh, from Samsung and some of the Kindle Fire tablets, you know, do support data, but there's really no incentive for anybody to actually give any sort of discount on upgrading tablets. You can't trade your old tablet in and get a discount. You can't really trade your old e-reader in and get a discount. So I think that that's why that the sort of sector is eroding and my fear is that you know if if we do see a 30% decline in, in tablets that's going to be huge for almost all the industries that focus on tablet use i mean it doesn't surprise me that people aren't browsing websites on their tablet because 
traditionally, if you don't have an app, people aren't really using your service. You know, people are sort of addicted to apps when it comes to tablets, you know, because it's just so easy to click on an app and go, whether you're clicking on Vine or you're clicking on uh, the Amazon Kindle app, it, it's fairly idiot proof. And so I kind of worry that if the tablet population starts to shrink, what does that mean for the publishing industry? What does that mean for the, the, the companies that are developing e-reading apps or, you know, trying to expand their e-book business to say Europe or, or internationally and appeal to, to buyers in those countries? So I think that this will be a big topic for us to discuss uh, in, in 2014. Speaking of you know ebooks and publishers, we do know that there was a service that we've talked about many times, uh, eRita, and they're one of the the Netflix or the Spotify for ebooks, and they have just rebranded. Yep, and uh, you know apparently in product testing, one of the main complaints was the name, and it's now called Entitle and uh, relaunched today with lower prices and with a rebranding. Uh, the prices are now something like $15 gets you two e-books a month, $21 or $22 gets you three e-books a month, and $28 gets you four e-books a month. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me that consumers are going to flock to this. Uh, you know, the average price of a best-selling ebook, according to the Digital Book World ebook bestseller list, was five twenty-seven this week. You could have bought the Goldfinch for a dollar seventy-nine a week and a half ago. So many, so many best-selling books are just so cheaply priced right now for the holidays, and in general, that they're they're very cheap. And you know, most people who read books, and not everyone even reads books, about three quarters of Americans do. You know, read six or seven books a year. So I and then and then on the other end of the spectrum, there are heavy readers who read hundreds of books, and why wouldn't they just do something like Oyster if they wanted a subscription service where they could have unlimited reading? So I'm not sure that, that Entitle as a business model makes sense for customers. I mean, it sure does make sense for the business owners, and it sure does make sense for the publishers who don't see their content devalued, uh, don't have the discomfort of going with you know, a pure subscription model. It's more like a book of the month club. Um, but I, don't, I just don't understand why any reader would ever sign up for this unless they don't know any better, which, you know, some businesses have been built on that. But in the era of the Internet where we live in a very information-flat environment, people could just very easily Google their options. Uh, I just don't see how this is going to, to be successful uh, over the long term for a large number of readers. You know, it's it's they it's an uphill battle for them because – Pretty well, e-reader or entitled as they're called now, pretty well announced their first soft launch around the same time that Oyster came on the scene. And, you know, Scribd had been dominating the news. They've been around for a while, but they just got some big money from, you know, publishers, you know, they, they got bought out. So in, in a world where we do have three subscription platforms, how do customers even know which one is viable for them? Because... You know, there's a small population that pay attention to this news for one. You know, we're we're a, a very small club, if you will, that actually report on all these different platforms launching and, you know, what they're all about and how they make sense to consumers. But the average consumer is not reading our website. They're not re listening to this audio show, although they should. But, I mean, <laughs> if it comes down to your average reader that, you know, I just bought a Kobo for the first time or I just bought a Kindle for the first time time and I'm, I'm looking for options i 
I'm I'm a, I'm a lot like everyone else. I, I don't make a ton of money per month, but I, I, I'm buying a digital reader or I'm getting a tablet uh, because it makes sense to spend less money on digital content than it does to continue to spend, you know, 40 or $50 on a hardcover when it first comes out. So when we look at, uh, you know, Entitle, Oyster and Scribd, what do you recommend, Jeremy, for, for people to take a serious look at? If you are a very heavy reader and you read three or more books a month, and you know some people read hundreds of books a year, so that would be you know a dozen or two dozen books a month. Uh, so if you're a very heavy reader and you read over three or more books a month, and you look at the lists that Scribd and Oyster have, and they have a lot of stuff you haven't read yet. There's a lot of backlist in there that you may have not seen. There are a couple of you know, bigger name titles, but mostly it's backlist stuff, then I think Scribd and Oyster are both good options. Um, if you're very mobile focused, maybe paying the extra dollar a month for a slightly nicer reading experience on Oyster is a good idea. If not, Scribd is $8.99 a month, very, very cheap. So I would recommend those two if you are a very heavy reader. Uh, if you, you know, there's a lot of backlist books that you haven't really dug into yet. Or you just want to have that extra option. You know, I don't always watch Netflix. Sometimes I watch other things, but I have Netflix, and if I want to go back to Netflix, it's really easy for me. That's a, that's a good backup uh, to have. So th those could be good services for you. Uh, otherwise, I would just keep on buying really, really cheap eBooks that are available right now. Yeah, I mean, um, it, this is something we haven't really even talked about, but everybody and their mother is discounting eBooks right now. Uh, I'm looking yeah. at a lot of the deals, and it's like, you know, regular seven ninety nine for a book that just came out a month ago. Now it's like a dollar ninety nine. I mean, it, it's yeah. it's a great time to buy eBooks right now. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, the the prices have gotten really really low. It's partially holiday season discounting, partially. Um, you know, retailers like Amazon are using uh, the the rest of their discount pool. It seems like that they were given by uh, the uh, Judge Denise Coat in, in the final settlement with uh, Apple and the publishers, um, and they are just driving prices down all over the place. You know, the publishers have got to be individually very pleased that they're seeing a book that they are getting paid $10 or so every time a copy is sold, being sold for $2, and you know, driving huge amounts of sales and huge amounts of revenue for them. But over the long term, I think publishers are nervous that this will drive down the perceived value of a book and drive down the value of, say, a hardcover book that's $25 or $35 uh, to, a, to a much lower number that they don't feel so comfortable with and really threatens the economics of the business. So uh, it's sort of like a glut right now for both readers and for publishers, uh, but, but I'm not sure what's going to happen come the new year. You know, what you actually said kind of sparked a memory um, about an article that I read lately about how even though a book is discounted to $1.99, the publishers are still making the face value of the book. But actually the agents and the authors are also getting an elevated payout as well. Just because a book is, is sold for $1.99 doesn't mean that the author and their agents actually get a, a smaller piece of the pie. They get the normal piece. And so... It's a bit of a losing proposition, you know, for the retailers that are actually um, giving books away for cheap. And then you have, you know, the bots that are automatically matching prices. So if Amazon, you know, offers a book for $1.99, then normally Sony and Kobo and, and other companies um, tend to follow suit through automatic price matching. Um, it's just surprising that they're discounting books like this at this time of year 
traditionally they tend to do it like after the 25th or the, or the 26th when everyone's unwrapping their new gifts and then, you know, I'm going to buy some content. Then the books tend to come down in price because people traditionally from the 25th until about January the 5th or 6th, that is like the boom period for, for ebook retailers because, you know, everyone has shiny new gadgets and they want to buy some stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, but it's an interesting quirk that according to the settlement, the retailers can't lose money on a any individual publisher's book of business within the the year of the contract. I wonder if these contracts end at the end of the calendar year or when or when a year is. Either way, we're somewhere in that year right now, and uh, the retailers uh, who are which are ag- aggressively engaging in discounting are clearly using up some of that discount pool. Uh, at this point, whether they have saved up dollars or they anticipate making more profit uh, in the future, you know, maybe it would be too too big of a hit to allow uh, the readers who just unwrapped the Kindles to get those huge discounts right now. But I think that uh, probably come uh, Christmas morning and the following week, we're going to see some very low prices. Now, do you think that ultimately they're doing that just to get more, you know, more eyes on the ebooks, or do you think that they're really discounting things at the end of the year to really inflate their end of the year figures? I think that that in Amazon's case, the company has been very consistent on just delivering the lowest possible prices to customers. So I think in Amazon's case, it's about delivering the lowest possible prices to customers as often as it can, uh, and also hurting its competitors. Uh, you know, if you're a big company like Amazon, you know Barnes & Noble can't keep up with this forever. Barnes & Noble needs to not lose as much money on digital content, needs to turn a profit. Um, I mean, I, I think that the this is quite possibly the, the, the thing that predatory pricing uh, is, is meant uh, – that making predatory pricing illegal is meant to combat. Uh, you know, a big company like Amazon bleeding its competitors dry. Uh, so I think partially it's to give consumers low prices, partially it's to, you know, it's to hurt competitors, um, and partially I think it's to reinforce in consumers' minds that ebooks are really cheap, so buy an e-reader. Yeah. No, I agree. So before we wrap up the show for today, I want to dive a little bit into some comic news. Marvel has been doing some very interesting things in the, in the comic sphere, mainly through their apps, and they have a lot of them. They have Marvel AR, which is basically an augmented reality app. You install it on your phone or tablet, and then when you are actually reading a physical comic, you can just scan specific pages and get you know the author popping up talking a little bit about the construction of a scene, or maybe you can see some like bonus content, or maybe some trailers through some of the animated films that they do. It's very interesting. Uh, they also have Marvel Unlimited, which is their subscription-based ecosystem. Uh, you pay a few dollars a month and you could read a lot of back issues for the comics um, and they have you know of course their Marvel app which is done by Comixology and Comixology is pretty well the largest digital comic distributor out there what Marvel is doing in-house right now is they're looking to phase out Comixology and actually develop their own all-in-one app. So what they're doing is they're developing a new app that actually takes Marvel AR, Marvel Unlimited, the Marvel Events News, and their comic reading and buying app and combining it into a singular app. And I think that this is good news because 
why have all these different apps when you could just combine them into one? And what they're doing right now is they're hiring job positions right now. Um, we've read, uh, we, I wrote an article on December 10th, and so I'll post it in uh, the description link for the show. What it is, though, is they're doing everything in-house, and they really want to rely less on comicsology because as Marvel grows and Marvel becomes a more household name through their their big budget films that they're putting out like the avengers or their iron mans or their thors and uh they're doing a lot of netflix original content uh with uh, daredevil and, and jessica jones and a number of, of other characters are going to have netflix original shows that marvel sort of wants to start selling the comic books themselves because as they grow Comicsology grows and you never want, really want one of your partners to more or less uh, quote unquote ride your coattails to success. And so this is why Marvel is working on it because they want a little bit more control of their own destiny and to re rely less on third parties. Uh, Jeremy, before we wrap it up, do you have any last minute news? Uh, you know, we're just, I think today is the last day to get discounted pricing for Digital Book World. So if you haven't already, uh, until midnight tonight, we have our last round of discounting. Uh, sign up and, and come along. Uh, and uh, aside from that, we're just uh, three or four weeks away. Uh, we're gearing up for what's going to be a, a fantastic conference. Uh, one additional thing, the Monday night of the, uh, the kickoff cocktail party of the conference, we're going to be hosting a screening of a special new film called Out of Print. Um, I actually will be leading a panel discussion about that with uh, Jane Friedman of Open Road Media, uh, a few other luminaries, people who were actually in the film and interviewed for uh, for what it's about. It should be a fantastic event. So, uh, and, and all the proceeds are going to uh, a, a charity that Out of Print supports, and I'm, I think it's a literacy charity. I'm not exactly sure which one. Um, but you can look it up at, at conference.digitalbookworld.com. And, and, Michael, I look forward to seeing you in New York in a few weeks. Yeah, it'll be fun. And if you guys want to listen to the show next week on the, th on the 23rd, uh, Jeremy and myself are going to be regaling you all with top 10 lists on uh, our predictions for next year, uh, 2014. So if you are a futurist, if you're in the industry, or if you just want to get a sense of the trends that are going to occur before they happen, you definitely don't want to mission, miss that show. It'll be a little bit more lighthearted, a little bit more witty banter here and there, as always. So uh, stay tuned for that. And you've been listening to the Goody Reader Radio Show. And everybody take care.